podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. I'm Simon Hughes. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. So the Test Match summer is over and it was a fantastic way to finish things off at Lords. Jimmy Anderson's 500th Test Match wicket, an excellent win by England 2-1 to one to win the Wisden Trophy. And of course Anderson goes top of the ICC bowling rankings again at the age of 35. He will reveal on this podcast the secret behind his staying power. I've felt really good throughout the summer um, and I think sometimes in cricket in particular you as a bowler you kind of you just go through hot streaks and i've just tried to enjoy this hot streak because you never know when the next you know when it's going to end more from jimmy shortly we'll also bring you the ashes predictions of several top pundits including tuffers and michael holding and we'll hear from blowers who received as much if not more love than jimmy anderson at lords over the weekend Test cricket is like a symphony concert. It has its fast bits, its medium bits, and its slow bits. And when you get the slow bits and maiden over after maiden over and nothing much is happening, a commentator has got then to realise that he is also, very importantly, an entertainer. So, two series wins for England this summer. West Indies beaten for a second time in this series inside three days, comprehensively. Big innings victory for England at Edgbaston, nine wickets at Lords. Headingly, just a flash in the pan. I suppose it, in a way it was, although they've West Indies have won a couple of tests recently uh, away from home. They beat Pakistan, didn't they, as well as at home. So they're emerging. Then they've definitely got two or three players to work with over the next you know, two years or so. But actually, of course, the one thing is we're on another day off, aren't we? So actually four days unused in this three-match series, only 11 of the 15 days used, which must be a bit of a concern for the authorities. But England showed their superiority in that final test at Lords. I thought Anderson's bowling, never mind Stokes' all-round performance in the first innings, I thought Anderson's bowling in the second innings was supreme. Uh, I don't know how you could bowl much better than that, really. I think the the control, the questioning of each batsman's technique, the, 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 the excellence of the swing either way, a couple of absolute peach deliveries, the one that bowled, Brathwaite to get his 500th wicket was a, a, an absolute gem. And the one that bowled Kyron Powell round the wicket left-hander was a ball of your dreams, you know, angling in from round the wicket and then suddenly seaming away or swinging away and taking the top of the off. And it just trimmed the off bail. In fact, the, the batsman wasn't almost entirely sure he'd been bowled because it wasn't that death rattle. It was more of a tinkle, really. But th- th- that guy is... hes I think he's close to a genius uh, as a bowler. Fantastic. And, you know... You look at the, the, the stats this summer. We thought at the beginning of the summer he might struggle to get through it. He's taken 39 wickets in the seven tests at an average of 14. That tally is second only to Jim Laker in terms of number of wickets in an English summer. Admittedly, he's had seven tests and Jim Laker only had five for his 46 wickets. But still, it's a fantastic performance. And I think he's the second oldest for about 20 years to take a, a seven-wicket all in a test match as well. Imran Khan took seven for aged about the same, 35, but it's phenomenal. 30 is the new 20, clearly. 
Well, let, let's hope so. Absolutely brilliant bowling for him. I mean, I also thought the dismissal of Shea Hope on the third afternoon was a superb ball. I thought you know, Hope looked really good. He dug in. But I thought, you know, how do you play that? There were several balls from Anderson in that test match like that. I also thought Stokes in the first innings bowled superbly as well. I, I can't remember the last time I saw an England bowler swing the ball that much. There was one to Bishu from round the wicket. It was like a magician's trick. It was full. And then it, it was homing in on middle stump, then it swung past the off stump. I mean, he didn't get his wicket, but it was just a, a, a brilliant exhibition of the art of, of swing bowling. But let's not focus too much on Stokes, who was magnificent in that first well, inning. Mean, he had a very good test match as well. But He deserved man of the match because, you know, he got England to 190 and that 70-run lead was crucial, really. I wouldn't have liked to have chased 200 on that pitch last innings. And Stokes not only got the 60, but he got it in a... And he, he was dropped early on, but he got it in a very authoritative and very aware sort of way. He he was quite intimidating to bowl at. He strode up the pitch and he went back on his stumps and he disrupted the bowler's lengths. And that was a crucial performance, never mind his bowling, which was devastating. Well, he is going to be absolutely vital in Australia. Let's just focus a bit more on Anderson, though. I mean, I can remember at the start of the summer thinking and perhaps even posing the question, not necessarily on air, that when England go to Australia, is Mark Wood being fit for five tests going to be more important than Jimmy Anderson being fit for five tests? And that was just sort of felt where we were, that Anderson, you just wonder whether he was on the way and he had that injury at the start of the summer. Of course, it's the other way around now. Anderson's had a brilliant summer in test match cricket. He's fit. And it's Wood, who's not fit, who, who started the summer so well. He looked really good in the one-day series. Remember, he won that match in, in Southampton against South Africa with that brilliant last over. I mean, from England's point of view, I think they would be quite keen to get him fit because he's got that extra pace they might need in Australia. But it's a tribute to Anderson that he has been able to get himself fit and get himself in the right frame of mind to, to just have the, just that brilliant control over batsmen all summer. He's mesmerised them. And the raw material he has, which is this very rhythmical run-up and then a very robust action and this incredible fingertip control of making the ball swing one way or the other without any discernible change in any kind of release point or anything for the batsman to pick up on. Those things are, are unique to him. And, you know, if you look at... Everything stems from your run-up, actually. I found this as a bowler. When I was 21, my run-up was terrible. And I'd bowl no balls, and some days I'd run in fast, and other days I'd run in slow, and I just couldn't get it right. And my length, particularly, was all over the place. When I got to 30, just a little bit younger than Jimmy, and I got a run-up really sorted, I was incredibly consistent. Unfortunately, I by then lost a bit of pace, but... I was very, very accurate. And I can see the same things happen with Anderson. You know, he's gone through different patterns with his run, but now he's got it down to an absolute fine art, to a nanosecond, that run-up. It's not too long, as is Stokes and, and Roland Jones, where I think they coast along quite a bit for, for a fair degree of their run. And it's not too short, which is Wood, where he just sort of bursts to the wicket and it's a little bit uncontrolled. Anderson's has this gradual build-up. He hits the crease hard really bowls over the top of his front leg and everything is just in perfect sync. You know, he's got a very strong front arm, left arm, getting all his torso engaged in, in the delivery and then this, this beautiful control of his wrist, which makes him at times unplayable. And I, I've looked back at the, the stats of that second innings performance. He bowled 20.1 overs, 7 for 42. He took five of the 
top six out, several of them with unplayable deliveries, and he only conceded one boundary off an authentic shot. That was a drive by Kyron Powell, back past him, and he bowled him out the next ball. The other fours he conceded were four off the edge, one through sort of deep fine leg and three through the slips. And those are the only runs, apart from a few ones and twos, he conceded. And that's in 20 overs. That's 121 deliveries, one authentic boundary. Incredible control. I was there when he made his debut against Zimbabwe at, at Lords, 14 and a half years ago. And he, you're, you're absolutely right about the run-up. There was a sort of... He, he was rushed and he was charging in, wasn't he? He, was a much, he tried to bowl much quicker in those days as well. He... he Everything is ju- it just seems perfect now. And we're talking him up, of course. He's got a massive challenge in Australia at the age of 35. Kookaburra ball, different sort of pitches. Uh, do you think that he can be England's match winner in Australia? Or is that asking a bit too much? It's got to be a you know, real team effort from all four bowlers, all, f- all four pace bowlers they're going to employ. Well, the fact is that the Kookaburra ball that they use in Australia isn't as helpful as the Dukes ball they use in England and it has a flatter seam it doesn't polish as well it goes soft it doesn't it doesn't really do much at all after 15 overs so I think what they have to do with Anderson is is use him very cleverly I think he obviously has to bowl with the new ball bowl six overs with the new ball and then maybe a little spell after lunch or when a wicket has fallen and then save him for the second new ball I wouldn't use him too much other than that I wouldn't tire him out I would use him maybe in the twilight zone during the day-night test in Adelaide, where clearly the conditions are slightly more in favour of the bowlers. I'd really be careful about how he got used. His average in Australia is 38, so that shows you that he's not as effective, and he won't be as effective, but if they use him cleverly, he can still have a major impact. And one of the reasons his average is that high in Australia is on the last tour, England had four bowlers, so he had to do a lot more work, and often... He was going back into the field in the third innings of the game when Australia had a big lead. And you know what it's like when a team's got a big lead in a test match. You know, they can grind the opposition down and it's very difficult to drag a team back into the game. The, the one thing I can see in England's favour this time round is they've got a four-man pace attack, which they didn't have last time. And I think that is, is a crucial aspect of, of the Ashes coming up. It's something Australia won't have because I think they're going to have to play three and, three and one, aren't they? And England at least have got the advantage of playing four and one. Yes, you're right, and and that means sharing the load. And someone like Stokes, with the extra pace he's got, and gradually he's coming into uh, the, the best form, potentially, of, of his bowling. I think he's worked hard on it this summer. I think England are going to miss Otis Gibson, actually, because he's worked a lot with Anderson and with Stokes. And you've seen both of them probably have the best seasons, bowling-wise, of, of their lives. And I, I just want to sort of really pay great tribute to, to Jimmy. I've followed his career throughout and I, I don't think I've seen him bowl better and I said that exactly to him at the end of play at Lords. Jimmy, look, I've followed your career ever since you started and I don't think I've seen you bowl any better, really. I mean, in terms of control, in terms of precision engineering is what I call it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think... Um, I think I, I, I agree. I've... I've felt really good throughout the summer um, and I think sometimes in cricket in particular you, as a bowler you kind of you just go through hot streaks and you know talking to Stuart Broad quite a lot throughout the series he's probably not got the wickets he could have had he's had a lot of drop catches it's not quite gone for him whereas I'm probably the opposite I've got the rubber of the green when when needed so I've just tried to enjoy this hot streak because you never know when the next, you know, when it's going to end. So uh, I'm just, yeah, delighted where I'm, with where my game's at. Um, 
happy that I've managed to get through the seven tests unscathed. I was say, because actually, I, I must admit, I predicted that you might not do it. And you've mm. not only played the seven tests, you've taken 39 wickets at 14. Those have been some nice pitches to bowl on, but you've also played against some good sides and you've just kept going and kept getting people out. Yeah, well, I've just I've, I've put a real focus on not trying to get wickets, if that makes sense. I'm just trying to bowl this, my best ball, put the, the ball uh, exactly where I want it on hitting the top of Austin as many times as I possibly can. Um, when I get away from that, I, I sometimes can leak runs. So, um, and, a, and what is the secret to getting that consistency because probably is it run up is it feeling good in your body I mean you know it's what a bit of say? everything it's a bit of everything you need you need the timing of your run to be right get you know talk about being in rhythm and stuff like that it's, it's the, the timing of, of the run up getting the speed right hitting the crease hard attacking the crease I like to you know really focus on that last few steps in the, in at the crease and then you know something that um if I get stiff, then that snap at the crease sometimes isn't there, but I've really worked hard on that. You know, the rotation on my back, trying to really keep that snap, because that's something that um, certainly gets the ball to swing later. Yeah, so that it applies torque to the ball. I mean, you get that left arm really braced, don't you, and then really yeah. pull it through. Yeah, exactly, and when that gets sort of lazy, then that's when I, I don't bowl as quick and it doesn't swing as much, and so I've really concentrated on that. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it's a, a number of things that need, you need to come together. But the thing is, as well, is I think it, it has been a, um, a bonus that all the games have come quite thick and fast. Because you, if you once you're in rhythm, you can you sort of feel that the whole way through the summer, rather than having a couple of weeks break and then having to try and get back into it. So it's been a bonus that that's happened. There. How the hell do you stay so fit? And whatever you eat, I want some of it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've got a skinny frame. Like, I'm just naturally built like this. Um, I do. I, I work, as, as I said, on my flexibility as much as I can, trying to keep my muscles as long as they can be, hamstrings in particular, calves as well, um, and just yeah, just try and keep them in order so that I can stay out on the And field. is that car and power delivery, the best delivery you've ever bowled? From around the wicket, maybe? I think it's up, right up there, yeah. It was a really enjoyable one. Um, Your reaction said a lot, actually. Yeah, well, obviously, it was, it was an in-batsman. In um, he just hit me for four straight down the ground as well, so it made it even more special. Fantastic, well played. Cheers, John. I've watched Jimmy quite often, actually, warming up before play, and he's completely different to anyone else. Some of the bowlers come out and bowl on a side pitch and bowl to, to the coach with the mitt and so on Jimmy never does that he comes out stands in front of the pavilion and firstly he grabs a big three kilogram medicine ball and does what the trainer Phil Scott calls med ball slams we use a three kilogram ball for double-handed slams before he bowls and then what they do is they get a one kg mini ball like a small medicine ball and he just very exaggeratedly goes through his bowling action with this heavy ball just about five times and really that's all he does and he you know in that interview he's talking about how he's really focused his attention on that snap at the crease and making sure he gets right through his action and those little bits of limbering up are crucial to it he doesn't bowl that much in the nets he doesn't bowl that much on a side pitch in practice it's all done with the medicine ball and then the stretching that he does in the dressing room, probably with diner bands or someone holding his legs while he's lying on the ground, just to make sure those legs are really stretched out, hamstrings and calves. And it's quite a simple routine, but it clearly works. Another bowler who 
reached 500 test wickets was Glenn McGrath. And I remember him, you know, when he got to his mid-30s in test cricket, he was still a, a very good bowler. In the field, he, he really struggled. It, you know, it was a bit like watching the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz and <laughs> moving around the ground. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Glenn. But, but it was. But he was a magnificent bowler still. But Anderson is also... Uh, you know, he talks about playing till 14. You, you can sort of half believe him as well um, because he, he's also still incredibly athletic in the field. And actually, I've watched him in the, the pre-match football games and he moves like a gazelle in those as well. So he's just very lucky. He's got that spare frame, as, as he says, very, very lean physique. He's light on his feet. He always lands at the crease the same place. He's not one who really does too much changing of, of different angles or landing in different spots. He finds his little hole on the crease and keeps landing in it. He's bowled something like 28,000 balls for England, which is you know, an astonishing number, and put that six times his body weight through his legs and his ankles every ball, but still seems as fit as a butcher's dog. Mm. We have been lauding his fitness, but he has had some injuries, of course. He wasn't that effective in, in South Africa. He was coming back from an injury there, you know, what, a year, a year and a half ago. He had the injury at the start of the summer. If he did pick up an injury, how big a blow to England would that be? I mean, that seems like you know, a strange question to ask, or, or a, a massive blow. But could England compensate for the loss of Jimmy Anderson if he, you know, if he missed three Ashes test matches, for example? He'd be a huge loss in any environment, but probably what England will have to do is use him very wisely in the Ashes series. And if he does miss the odd test, then they will be able to compensate. But if he's out for more than two, then that's a big loss. Mm. Well, we're going to look ahead to the Ashes series after the break and get the, the opinion of uh, all sorts of pundits, including uh, Tuffers and Michael Holding and Alex Stewart. So that's coming up in just a moment. You, you wanted to say something about the, the cricketer power list. I presume I'm not on it this year. I wasn't on it last year. I'm not on it this year. Are you on it this year? I'm not on it this year, actually. This is the, the power list for the Cricketer magazine, which comes out on Thursday and it caused a lot of a stir last year. And the reason why it's relevant now is that we've seen some players climb the list, actually. Jimmy being one, he's climbed up. Moen Ali and Ben Stokes, after their match-winning performances this summer, are up in the top ten now. Uh, but it's, it's just a, a ruse, really, to create a bit of debate. We, we've had a long, hard look at who we voted into the top 50 last year, the, the people who've got the most influence on the game. And we got it a bit wrong last year. Certainly, I shouldn't have been in it. Uh, so we've, we've just promoted a few interesting ones. I'll tell you one that's quite a, an interesting one is um, somebody who's crept into the list is Reg Dickerson. Now, a lot of people won't know him, but he is the security expert for England who goes and wreckies all the tours and basically gives them the green light, whether they go to Bangladesh or India or wherever. A uh, very important, very trustworthy member of the England hierarchy. And, of course, he's Australian, <laughs> so he'll be invaluable this winter. But wait and see on Thursday where all these various people are, players, administrators, TV executives, commentators. See where they are on Thursday in the Cricketer Power List. OK, will do. After the break, Ashes Predictions. Well, welcome back to England triumphant in the Test Series, both Test Series this summer, 3-1 against South Africa, 2-1 against West Indies, and it was party time for the bowlers at Lords, Anderson and Stokes, and then the others looked uh, reasonable as well, but even Stuart Broad, he's not had the best of luck so far this summer. Seven catches dropped in the West Indies Series, that can definitely affect your figures, and you'll know how many catches he's had dropped off his bowling. But September Test match in England, a November Test match 
at the Gabba. Is there a, a greater contrast in Test cricket than that? I suppose you could argue, you know, playing it on a, on a Madras Turner or a Chennai Turner is, is, is very different from playing at Laws, but it's going to be a completely different in, environment at the Gabatoir. You're absolutely right. And, it, you know, even to the extent that the crowd will just be baying for blood in Brisbane, whereas, of course, you've got that rather genteel atmosphere at Laws and Henry Blofeld walking round at the end and getting lots and lots of rounds of applause and hurrahs and things like that. There's not been too many hurrahs in, in the gabatoire. And the pitch has bounce and it, there's, a, there's a sort of shininess about the pitch at the Gabba which catches batsmen unawares. And I still think back to that incredible spell that Mitchell Johnson produced uh, there to really virtually terrify England yeah. and set the, the ball rolling for the 5-0 in the last series there. So it is a, a hostile environment, and I'm not convinced England have got too many batting personnel in the top five, say, who are going to be able to handle it. Well, that's the big issue, isn't it? How many changes from that Lord's Test match do you think we'll see at the Gabba? I'm just I'm thinking about it this morning. I, do, I wonder whether there'll be that many. You know, England, There is a sort of continuity about the way England select teams these days. They've just won a Test match. I, I reckon maximum two changes, absolute maximum two changes from the, the team at Lords. It might not be any at all. I think we need three openers, to be honest. And and I think those openers should be Cook, Stoneman, and I think I'd pick Jennings, actually, as a third, because... But why Jennings? Well, I just think that of the three people that have been tried recently, he's got something. He's got a Test 100 for a start in India, admittedly. And he's tall... Uh, he's originally South African, so he should be able to play the bouncing ball reasonably. I'm not convinced about Hamid at the moment. I think he will get found out by pace and bounce, and he hasn't had a great season. I know Jennings hasn't either. They're both averaging in the late 20s for their counties. But I just think Jennings potentially has got something there. He hopefully will have a hard wicket game in him, and England need players who can handle that extra bounce I think Stone will be okay. I think he's shown a little bit of a weakness for going with a horizontal bat outside off stump when the ball isn't quite short enough. And you have to be careful of that in Australia. You either go with a completely right-angled bat or a completely vertical bat and nothing in between. A 45-degree bat playing off the back foot is liable to get you into trouble. So I, I, I just think we, there are going to be early wickets falling. I wouldn't like to put Joe Root in at number three because uh, I think he, probably he does need a bit of protection. You could just put a sacrificial lamb in at number three, which would be Tom Wesley. But I think probably they, they'd be better off with three openers. What about someone like Alex Hales at number three? He's open for England before. <laughs> He can play shots. Just say to him, go out there. You talk about the sacrificial lamb side of yeah. it. Just go out there and play some shots, a bit like David Warner. I'm not saying this is necessarily my solution, but w what about that as an option? I, I don't see that as an option. I think the bowling is too good. Someone like Josh Hazelwood, if he's fit, will just completely have him for breakfast. If he plays that way, I think you have to pe have people who are technically good. The new ball, the Kookaburra new ball can damage your top order if it's bowled fast and well. So you need, for the first 15, 20 overs, you need players who can deal with extra bounce and that sort of penetration that you get in Australia, a little bit of movement. If you have people wafting at it, they're going to get out. So is Tom Wesley in your tour party? 
I think I would actually take him, but I, I wouldn't play him. I mean, obviously, they, they, they're going to play some early matches before the test. And clearly, those are audition opportunities. But I think that Tom Wesley is, is not a good enough player up the order. He could bat at five, possibly. But I think at number three, in the hostility of a, an Ashes series against some seriously fast, good bowlers, I just wouldn't put him in. I think he'll be found out quite quickly. Trevor Bayliss in coach has been talking about only selecting players basically who've got test experience. Yeah. So they're drawing on the pool that have been selected in the last 18 months. I mean, that's, so there's a, a clue in that, you know, possibly Hales, mm. possibly Gary Balance coming back into the squad. No, I don't see Gary Balance either. It's going to be all about pace this series. And I, I just think Balance will struggle against very fast bowling. Obviously, it's a difficult ordeal, you know, and Australia have got some very good fast bowlers at the moment. They need players who can handle it, and I don't think Balance can. So I would, I would stick with Milan. I think he's got time to play the ball. He's quite tall. He'll be able to handle that extra bounce, and he's acquitted himself decently. Uh, of the three people on trial in the last couple of tests, I think Stoneman and Milan have passed it, and so far Wesley hasn't convinced me. So Jennings goes, Wesley goes as well, but Wesley doesn't play. That, that's basically your, your batting lineup, batting configuration. Yeah, unless one of them comes off incredibly, unless Wesley mm. you know, scores 150 in one of the warm-up games and looks incredibly confident, and then obviously you'd have to, to pitch him in, but otherwise, no. As far as the seam bowl is concerned, presumably the four that played at Lords plus Wood, plus Wokes, and with Jake Ball in, sort of in the frame as well, that's about it, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, my, the bowling will be a worry to me. Broad hasn't really cracked it this summer and he's blown hot and cold and too often cold. Wood, we don't know how, how fit he is, but it, clearly he gives them some extra pace. Wokes hasn't really come back to full fitness either. I like Jake Ball, actually. I think he's deceptive. I think he might well feature quite prominently in in the Ashes. But just you know, the wicket-taking potential of all those guys is a very unknown quantity and I do worry about that and also I worry about the catching as well mm. Trevor Bayliss has pointed it out the change in the slip cordon personnel doesn't help but some of the catches that have gone down have been really disappointing and they need to work very hard on that because in Australia you're only going to get a couple of chances for a batsman and if you miss those he's going to get 150 so that's roughly what we think the tour part is going to be. Then I don't think there's been any huge surprises. You, you know, someone might get in head of someone, which will create a, a bit of debate on on the batting front whether Wesley gets picked or, or not. That sort of thing. How are they going to get on? Before we talk about that, why don't we let some other pundits have a go first? So I went round the media centre on Saturday afternoon as England were about to win against the West Indies, and I talked to Messrs. Tufnell, Swan, Stewart. Ali Mitchell and Michael Holding to see what they thought. Tuffers, who is going to win the Ashes? Um, I think it's going to be very close, but I'm going to have to go with uh, home advantage. I think Australia are going to nick it. Really? And it's just the home advantage that you think is going to be crucial? And also, four great big six-foot-five fast bowlers might have something to do with it as well. (laughs) Swanning, who's going to win the Ashes? England, 3-1. Why? (laughs) Just feeling my bones. Alec, who's going to win the Ashes? Remember that's between England and Australia? I think you played in it a few times. I didn't, I didn't win. Australia going to start as favourites. My heart is saying England, my head is saying Australia. Just think their new ball bowling, 
will create issues if all their quick bowlers stay fit. Ali Mitchell, who's going to win the Ashes? The, the men's Ashes. England will win the men's Ashes in Dude. Australia. Why? Uh, I think that I'm being a very positive English journalist and putting great faith in this team that they can go travel to Australia and Jimmy Anderson can make that kookaburra do a little bit more than he's managed to in the past and have something of a swan song Ashes series away from home. What about the women's Ashes? Women's Ashes, well, the Aussies are missing Meg Lanning. That is a big miss for them, and I believe that... I'm going to go England again for that one, do you know? Meg Lanning is, a, is a, an enormous cog in Australia's lineup. so without her, I think England, uh, win the sort of rejuvenated side that they are, and with the World Cup win behind them, can storm through and take the Ashes as well. Oh, wow, that is optimism. Two Ashes wins for England. Yeah. Excellent, thank you. Mikey, who's going to win the Ashes? Well, I think Australia at the moment have a slightly stronger team. You know, there are so many weaknesses in the batting line of the top order of this England team. I think Australia definitely have a stronger team. Not necessarily the strongest bowl and tackle, but I think the batting is stronger. And I think they are liable to win the Ashes. Right, well, not much optimism there as far as England's prospects are concerned in Australia, Yoza. Well, there was from Graham Swan, but I think he was allowing his heart to dictate that answer rather than his head. I can't see England winning the Ashes, honestly. I, I think that... The, Can you see them drawing the series uh, and retaining the Ashes? That's, a good that's all they have to do. They don't have to go there and win. I mean, there's that thing about you know, going to Australia and, and, and winning, but actually a draw will retain the Ashes. Yeah, we don't have many draws in no, Test cricket. That's the trouble. Well, it's five matches and you, you can't see where a draw's coming from unless it rains somewhere. I mean, sometimes you get those big Brisbane storms. I just think Australia's bowling attack, if they're all fit and they've got plenty of ammunition. And also, by the way, Nathan Lyon, mm. who is an excellent off-spinner yeah. and will get wickets. And we've got a few left-handers as well. So I think that their combination will just be too much for England. The pace, the accuracy, the penetration. And I just think that England won't have quite enough firepower to, to hit back. So 3-2, I'd say. Yeah, they've got too many problems in their top order for me, England. I, I do worry about England's bowling attack as well, where it's got that extra pace that you, you need in Australia. What they do have, of course, is they have some brilliant cricketers in, in Root and Stokes and Bairstow and Moen Alley. And if they were able to sort of lift the, the rest of the team, then that would give England a chance. Australia, I, they've got David Warner. He's going to be key. Warner, absolutely brilliant in Bangladesh. Two hundreds in Bangladesh. What a, what a cricketer he is. I mean, he might not be everyone's favourite cricketer, but goodness me, he's made massive progress over the years from you know, when he started as that sort of 2020 biffer. F fabulous cricketer. Steve Smith as well. That pace bowling attack. They have got question marks over their batting lineup. Australia, for me, I wonder whether they might win 4-1, you know, but we'll, we'll see. Pray to God it's not 5-0 again. I mean, that really would be... a devastating thing if that happened I think it's going to be closer what you might find is there are there are tighter test matches but it's just a question of who can nose ahead in those tight test matches I think it's going to be tough for England though yeah and that's a good point actually about the depth of England's batting and uh, those match winners down the order Ben Stokes has already made a hundred in Australia and that will really be, be a great feather in his cap but the others down that order, you know, Johnny Bairstow hasn't really toured Australia with any great success. Moen Ali, I think, will be susceptible to the pace. So that lower order engine room of England might not be quite as productive as it has been in England. Hmm. Well, you're very 
pessimistic poms here. But it, no, I'm not it, normally it pessimistic, has, actually. I just think you've got, we're trying to be rational about yeah. it. And I, I think Australia are beginning to form a decent side with a very potent bowling attack, and that should be enough. And home conditions as well. It's, it's never easy to go and win in the opposition's backyard. Especially when you're not really sure of your top six yeah. batting order. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, just a reminder, you can subscribe to The Analyst Inside Cricket so you get the programme automatically each week. Just click on the button where it says subscribe. And please continue to leave reviews of this podcast on iTunes. We'd like to know what you think. We're going to finish off with our Royal London Player of the Week, our low light and highlight. And we're going to bid farewell to blowers as well. Royal London Player of the Week. I thought honourable mention, David Warner, superb in Bangladesh, but Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson, without without any doubt, really. And uh, he's now got 506 test wickets. The leading wicket taker who is a pace bowler in test cricket is Glenn McGrath, 563. So Jimmy has 58 wickets to go to overtake him and become the leading pace bowler of all time. I think he'll do that comfortably. I think he'll do that probably within the next 12 to 15 months. Mm. He, he might not get more than, say, 20 in the Ashes, but then there's tests in New Zealand afterwards. There's seven tests again next summer. So in, late, let's say, the next 15 tests, I can see him taking 60 wickets. Maybe this time next year, he'll be crowned as a leading test wicket taker of all time Well, he's as de- a pace bowler. He's definitely got a chance. Low light... Highlight. Well, low light. What about South African spinner Tabras Shamsi playing in that Caribbean Premier League final? I don't know if you've seen it. The the LBW appeal that was turned down. He's been fined 50% of his match fee. I've not seen a, a player react like that on a field to a decision for a very long time. He was like a, a child throwing his toys out of his, his cot. And of course, the, the laws are changing, aren't they, in terms of uh, on-field discipline. W- would that be worthy of a, a yellow card or a sending off? Yeah, it would be. It would certainly be worthy of a sin bin. In fact, I think the way he behaved, he really careered around the pitch and remonstrated with the umpire and looked absolutely distraught and and furious for the best part of a minute. There's two penalties now for that kind of abuse of an umpire. And one is a sending off for, say, 10 overs. And the other is a sending off for the rest of the match. And I think probably in this case, it was sending off for the rest of the match. And it's good, I think, that umpires are going to have the, these kind of uh, measures now, especially in, in, in league cricket, where they've trialled the system and it's been very successful. We've only had one level three, an abuse of an umpire, with a, a, a bit of a sin bin as a result in the leagues. And generally, I think behaviour's been a bit better. So hopefully, these measures coming in October the 1st with the new code of laws of the game being introduced might improve... The, the general behaviour in the professional game as well. We're going to finish with our highlight of the week. And it, in a way, it's a, it's a low light. It's the end of Blowers' test match special career. But what a fantastic career. What a reception in the England dressing room. At the test match special box all stood up and applauded. They stood up and applauded at Laws. And then he did it. was a bit like the Pope, wasn't he? Going around the outfield at the end, waving to the crowd. He had a chance to speak to him afterwards. He was slightly overcome with emotion, actually, which, which I'm sure you, you would be. Uh, extraordinary reaction from from the crowd, and especially from the players. Lots of players came up and shook his hand. And then I thought, for me, that the highlight of the week was Joe Root coming up to, to blowers on the field and saying, we'd take great privilege if you'd come to the dressing room and, and spend some time with us after the game. You know, just it would be a great honour. And, and he was over the moon with that. And I spoke to him soon after that invitation had been issued. And so we're going to end this podcast 
with blows his farewell. Henry, I'd just be delighted to know, who do you think is going to win the Ashes? I think with the situation of numbers two, three and five in the England batting order, I'm afraid, I'm not a betting man, I hasten to add, I'm not going to unbelt a penny, a sovereign or anything else. I think I would rather suspect that Australia might get head there ahead of us. Are you going to be there? No, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. I'm going to do on three cruises this winter, um, singing for my supper, and Valeria and I are sort of, in, uh, we're in the process of moving to Menorca, and, um, and I've got a tour with Swanee coming up, and then a, a one-man tour of my own in the spring. So I'm going to have plenty to do. But I shall be listening to all of you and reading what the analyst says every day and then trying to improve my knowledge of this game. You know more than all of us. I don't think that's true, but I, I, the thing I do is enjoy it as much as anyone. Well, and that is so infectious, actually. Mm. I mean, it really comes through. Your historical knowledge, your sense of humour, your perspective, and just the fact that you really do enjoy yourself is, is such a lovely thing to listen to. Well, you're very kind to say so. I mean, I think two things about commentating. The commentators, well, he's a radio commentator, is uncomfortable an ongoing story. Test cricket is like a symphony concert. It has its fast bits, its medium bits, and its slow bits. And when you get the slow bits and maiden over after maiden over and nothing much is happening, a commentator has got then to realise that he is also very importantly an entertainer. And that's why I've always gone over the boundary. Try and find something that can interest, interest listeners when the cricket actually, if you just simply report maiden over after maiden over and get in, you know, and silly me off picking it up time, I mean, it does, it does get turn off time, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? I do, yeah, I do, I agree with you. And I, I think you're the master of that. Well, but, so, I mean, so thank you from all of us. My dear, thing, you're very, very, very kind. Thank you, your friend. Podcast Network.